Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, we, uh, we, we continue this series, and I, I'm excited to hear that a couple of weeks ago I had said something specifically to the, to the effect of we don't have to do all that history stuff this week because we did the last few weeks, and then I had some people come to me and say, hey, we like the history, so that's all we're going to do this week uh, for you. I'm just kidding. But there will be a little bit of a mix. I will start there, actually. Uh, the year was uh, actually 26 A.D., And the nation of Israel had gone through a cycle of obedience, falling away, repentance. And this cycle would just continue, continue, continue. And this happened from the time of their elders all the way through. In fact, even Nehemiah 9, 28 reads like this. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven and your compassion, and in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. And so Nehemiah in this specific passage is recognizing this cycle of obedience, falling away, repentance. Now, unbeknownst to the Israelite nation, they were coming up on the end of a period, as we're going to read about in just a few moments, and a period that had, they had been experiencing that we now call the 400 silent years. The 400 years for which there was no specific spiritual influence, there was no uh, foreseeable understanding to it, but God had uh, disciplined Israel by allowing the nation to slide into what we now know as a dark time. There was no divine revelation, no prophecy, no visions, no dreams, no prophets to speak of. There was uh, not a notable godly leader besides those who took the mantle of Pharisee or even Sadducee. But the interesting thing is, while this dark time was discouraging to many, it also drove the Israelites into a deeper devotion and a deeper desire to hear and to seek out the will of God and the presence of God through faith. So elephant in the room, real quick, I know some of you already asked me who were brave enough to do so, Steve, what happened to your face? Like I have this little scar mark right here, and I'll just say it has to do with darkness. I am not scared of the dark, but I find that for whatever reason, when I'm in the dark from time to time, that dark uses its one advantage, that one that I can't see, to try to defeat me. Has anybody ever been there before? I had uh, a book in my hand, and I usually with this book, I keep a highlighter and a pencil in it, and the highlighter's a little bigger, so oftentimes the pencil falls out. And I was leaving my room, and it was a little bit dark, and as I was leaving my bedroom, the pencil slid out right as I was about to walk out the door. And as I was ready to pick it up in the dark, I bent over, and with my shoulder, I bumped the door, and as I went down, I headbutted the door right here. And I saw stars in the midst of the dark, I got my pencil, I walked out of the room, I stumbled a little bit out of the room, I sat down, and I realized, man, how am I going to explain this on Sunday? So you were first on my mind, I want you to know that. No, I'm okay to get rid of distractions right away, so I wanted to let you know that, but I can tell you within the midst of the dark specifically, things can be difficult, things can be hard to understand, things can be by very, mean, by, by very nature and by very definition, they can be impossible to see. 
But at the same time, above all else, in the midst of the darkness, God's people in that time, in that specific 400 years of silence, of darkness, they had this spirit of anticipation of what was to come. For they knew the prophecy that the, that the, the one, the only, the Messiah was going to come into their midst. And while it was dark and while it was discouraging, and while from time to time they didn't fully understand why, or what, or how, they knew the Messiah was to come. Imagine living in a world specifically where God was silent. Imagine you find yourself in a place where you're calling out for comfort, for healing, for a taste of his goodness, but you receive nothing. Imagine you are in a place where you're seeking out direction and you're asking God, please lead me, guide me, show me your way, affirm in me this decision that I'm to make, but you receive nothing. Imagine a place where you are, are looking for a leader, somebody to guide you. You call out, you look for a brother or sister, and there is no one to guide. Imagine a place where you, you're clinging for the hope of the promise that the Messiah would one day come, and the word would come in flesh, and recognizing in that moment, in that place, that it is, it is, there's no time limit, that there's, there's, no, there's no designated, here's the moment when it's going to happen, but at some point, the Messiah will come. Now, can I tell you that last one? You don't have to imagine very hard. Because like the Israelite nation, we are in a place of anticipation. When will Christ come again? However, unlike them, we have the ability and we have the, the, the opportunity to call out to God, recognizing that he is right here with us in this place through the person of the Holy Spirit. As we define revival throughout this series, we do so this morning. Revival is the embrace of his truth, and the experiencing of his goodness through the promises of his word. We turn the corner this morning from the Old Testament revivals that we've looked at the last few weeks with Jacob and Joshua and, and, uh, and Samuel, and this morning we start a New Testament turn towards the first revival we see in Scripture, and that is the revival of John the Baptist. A revival that turns from obedience and repentance to a place of repentance and grace and truth. You see, John the Baptist was the forerunner of the first revival. And, and here we celebrate in the New Testament this understanding that John the Baptist, in his wisdom and also in his obedience, he stepped forward to say yes to God so that you and I could experience the greatest revival that would ever happen and still is happening even today through the person of Jesus. John the Baptist, uh, he didn't see revival as a special way of learning or a special occurrence in life. Instead, he saw it as a way of life. For John the Baptist, revival was what you did. He praised the name of God. He called out to those leaders that were, were not following God the way they should. He literally lived the scripture, both by following what the scripture said and also by being one who was part of the fulfillment of the prophecy. God promised he would send a redeemer. And guess what? He did. He promised he would send a redeemer, and spoiler alert, he did. He sent Jesus Christ. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, it talks of John the Baptist as, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And here the author is saying, Moses is saying, Look, there's going to be one that's going to come, a prophet that is called, that is anointed, that is sent by God. And that prophet is one that's going to bring a message that you need to listen to. 
And that message was simply this lived out. And this is a, a passage from Isaiah that often is read during Christmas, but it's okay. We can celebrate this every day. It says, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 says, For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from the time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Hear those words, hear those titles, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. The bottom line is this, first and foremost, God set the table and generated this revival by making the first move, by, by setting up this prophecy and keeping his promise by sending John the Baptist. His goodness fulfilled in this world. We live in this post-Christian world and we anticipate him coming again. And here we see that fulfilled, that promise fulfilled. I don't know if you've ever experienced a situation where when you receive God's goodness or when you receive goodness in life that it generates this, this cycle of receiving more goodness and moving forward in joy and peace and in his hope. If so, that's called revival. That's what that is. I don't often read uh, fiction books. I read one recently, and it was a, a, an interesting one. The first 12 chapters of the 17 chapters were not very interesting at all, but the last five, the last five were so interesting to me. The book was called Palandria, and it's a, a story, it's a, a fictional story written by C.S. Lewis, and it's so amazing, particularly those last five chapters, as it shows this fulfillment of God's plan and his direction and the way that he calls you and I as the body of Christ to step forward against evil and to fight the evil that, that's been placed before us so that we might shine light on the world around us. And the way that I, 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 I like I said, I couldn't put it down, though, especially these last five chapters, the way that I read this, I couldn't help but be filled and encouraged by the call that God puts on our life. He calls you and I to be part of his redemptive work, to bring forth the opportunity for others to experience the good news of Jesus. All right, I, I'm excited about that even if you're not. The best part about it is that our Redeemer lives. And because our Redeemer lives and because our Redeemer calls, he gives us this opportunity to be part of his work. If we back up just a moment, just for a bit, we see that John the Baptist, in this specific instance, was sent to bring forth the revival, to, 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 to come as the forerunner of Jesus. And as we answer another question, we do so, we, we've been given the opportunity and the resource to do the same. We've been given the opportunity to have the posture of John the Baptist in humility and the actions of obedience paving the way for Jesus and to bring forth his revival. You know, oftentimes we've been given tools, we've been given resources in life. And sometimes with those resources and those tools, there may be a tendency to say, this is my resource, my gift, my tool. And we kind of hold on to that ourselves. I play Uno with my children, especially with my boys, and sometimes when we play Uno, I recognize that there's a little bit of sharing that happens. And I don't mean that to say that sharing is a bad thing, but sometimes when dad gets down to Uno, which I can tell you right now, it doesn't matter who wins as long as it's not dad, right? <laughs> when dad gets down to Uno, there's a situation where I notice a bargain going on. Because we play stacking, which means, hey, if you have a draw two, I can put a draw two on that. And the next person, if they don't have one, they draw four. Well, what happens is the kids begin to bargain and almost a little bit of under the table passing of cards to make sure that dad doesn't win. I can tell you, I haven't won in years. 
And I recognize specifically sometimes in life we do this little bit of a bargaining where it's like, okay, I'm going to use this for this. I'm going to do that for that just to make sure that things work out the way that I need them to or the way that I want them to. When in essence, God is saying, look, I've given you the cards. I've given you all these things. I've given you all these resources. My desire, my goal, my hope is that you would use them to glorify the kingdom. That you would use them not for your own personal gain or to defeat the things that you think are important, but instead that you would use them to bring others to the foot of the cross. That you would fulfill scripture by living out scripture in that regard. The story of John the Baptist is a long one, and it's, it's peppered throughout much of, of the Gospels. And I, I will, uh, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a summary of that, but I'm going to read specifically from Mark's chapter, the first chapter of his Gospel. Mark's gospel specifically highlights in more of a succinct manner than all the rest some of the details, the narrative details of Jesus' life. And particularly within that, he, he, he details the, the forerunner, John the Baptist, in his life as well. And so Mark chapter 1, excuse me, Mark chapter 1, we see John's preparing of the way. We see the, 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 the carpet laid out specifically for him and the way that he uses his mantle of authority and the platform that he stands on, not for himself, but for the one to come. John, or excuse me, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, John the Baptist prepares the way. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothes made of camel hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw a heaven being torn open and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you, I am well pleased. And here we see this ordination moment, so to speak, of when God himself, God the Father, ordained through the, the dove, which is the representation of the Spirit and the Trinity, all being in this one moment, ordaining Jesus for ministry to step forward as John the Baptist so obediently and, and, and really in all aspects so obediently and humbly said, it is not about me, but my message is for this one. And so as we look at this, I want to walk through some specific points we can pull from this passage in enlightening us not just to see what John the Baptist did, but how we can also respond in kind to be part of God's redemptive work by living out the goodness of Scripture. God used John the Baptist's attitude and action to bring revival. 
God used John's attitude, one, recognizing that John literally had to, he basically, in, even in this, he humbled himself to say, I can't even untie or I can't even tie this man's sandals. I'm not even worthy enough to do the lowest of the low position as a servant in his kingdom. And at the same time, action, recognizing, look, I know that I am a, an, a tool. I am a, 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 uh, one that's, that has come as a, as a means of being able to try to reveal to everyone who God is and what he's done and who this person is, this Messiah is that's coming into our midst, that's stepping into our neighborhood. But I, in and of myself, am unable to do what he can do, which is to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so the first point is this, John the Baptist fulfilled the calling of Scripture. Verse 2 uh, through 4 reads like this. This is the actual quoted Scripture. It says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And then in verse 4, the first part reads like this. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And I want to highlight this word, the specific word in verse 4, the second word there, and it says, and so. As if to say, the author here, Mark, is saying, look, we've got this prophecy, and so here is the individual, John the Baptist, who has taken up this call that God has placed on his life. And so, because this is to happen, God has called. And there is an and so applicable point for you and for me, right? God has called us to step forward through the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. And so, church... It's our role, it's our goal, it's, it's our pleasure, it's our blessing, it's our responsibility to and so step forward and be God's hands, his feet, his mouthpiece in this world. To put aside all the distractions, to put aside all the things that would call us away, all the things that would keep us from stepping forward, to be his mouthpiece and to say yes to him however he calls us to do so. Now, you and I recognize that that's easy for us to say in this safe space. It's, it's easy for me to say in this space, Right? But what I can tell you is even in the, in the midst of the unpopularity of this message, right now, even John the Baptist stepping forward and saying, okay, you've made a, a mistake, you've, you've sinned, you need to repent, even going to the Pharisees and saying, look, you guys are leading people down the wrong path, that's not an easy thing to do. He emulated this in his everyday life. John the Baptist, in his message being one that's a difficult thing to understand, a difficult thing to do, he recognized this by being thrown into prison multiple times and eventually losing his life, being executed while he was in prison. In the midst of this possible plight that you and I might have, what, what might happen? Will our, will our, our reputation be destroyed? Will, will people uh, you know, look at us differently at work? Will our family turn their back on us? Whatever the, the, the what if might be in our life, the, the same thing is true. God has called us with this and so mentality. This and so command and gift. God's called us to step forward. And the point that goes under that, the implication for us, may our lives fulfill the calling of Scripture. May our lives, yours and mine, be an and so lifestyle. Because God has called, we step forward in faith. Because God has called, we step forward in his pleasure, in his delight. All right, the second point goes like this. John the Baptist, the second uh, reflection of John the Baptist, John the Baptist showed up with action, not just mere words. Has anyone ever said to you, I'll pray for you? 
Can I tell you right now, unless I'm unable to do so because of time or the other person's schedule, I rarely will say I'll pray for you anymore. Usually I will pause and pray for you right then. Because I found even in my desire to want to pray for someone else, oftentimes, even if I write it down, it doesn't happen as often as I would like. And so a lot of times what I will do is I will pray right then. And the recognition is that the action really taking place right then makes a real difference in the life of the other individual and in my own life as well. And so when God says, hey, I want you to step out, he doesn't just say, hey, talk about it a whole bunch. Hey, go to church and hear about it or, or go to a small group or a class and talk about what it means to step out. No, what he says is actually do it. And I will tell you now that if you see a need that doesn't always in constitute that there's a call on your life to engage that specific need. That's why we as the unified body all have different gifts, all have different talents, all have different time. But God calls us in different places and in different ways to step forward how he calls us to do so. Verse 5 reads like this, The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, that they, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And this is a profound thought, because not only did they come out and listen to his preaching, but they stepped forward in baptism. They took this action, and he baptized them as well. And quite possibly, if the whole Judean countryside, if here right now, if the whole Athens and Venton and Meigs County countryside came to church today, First of all, it'd be hard for us to find a seat, kind of like last week. But at the same time, it might be a little bit intimidating. It might be a little bit scary. It might be like, whoa, I didn't realize this was going to happen, or I didn't know that that person was going to be here. But whatever God calls us to, whoever he calls to show up in our life, what he desires for us is to act upon those who are there, to act upon his will and his desire so that we might share the gospel in any way that God calls us to, whether it be through our words of preaching, through our actions with our hands and feet. And so the implication there is this, may we demonstrate grace and truth through both our words and our actions. May our words line up with our actions. It's funny, the, the, the video that we, were, that we watched earlier about the, the walk for life is, is just that. Look, are you going to walk the talk? Right? Do you support the PRC? Do you support their endeavors? Do you support what's happening? Okay, let's walk, literally walk the talk. He baptized them in the Jordan River, which I think is profound. If you think specifically, historically about the Jordan River, that was the last sign of God's goodness, the last sign of God's provision for the Israelites before he let them enter into the promised land. They had wandered in the desert for, in the wilderness for 40 years. And then finally, he parted the Jordan River so they could walk across on dry land, getting this last moment of God's recognition, this last moment of, of, of God's provision for their lives as they stepped onto, through dry land onto this new promised land that God had given them. And certainly there was, there, there was a, a plethora of other struggles they would walk through. There were battles that, were to, that they had to have, and there was other things that they had to walk through. But that moment of walking through the Jordan was this moment of recognizing that God had granted them freedom. He had brought them into this place of purity. And let me just say, to be baptized into the Jordan, as John stepped into that place with the rest of those who would go, it was a moment of reflection not just on their lives and the way that God had changed them, but the lives of the church, the lives of those who had come before them, the lives of their people as they were baptized in that same water which was parted for the people that had come so many, long, so many years ago into that place. May we demonstrate grace and truth through both our words and our actions. The third thing, John the Baptist embraced the discomfort of serving God and serving others. If I were to take a poll in here, 
and you were to be honest, I would imagine it would be close to zero if one of the questions was, would you rather be comfortable or discomfortable or not comfortable, right? I don't know if discomfortable is a word. Put that on your list to look up later. If you were not comfortable versus comfortable, most people are going to say they want to be comfortable. And I see this specifically because in life, we gravitate towards the comfortable place, right? When you come in the, the church, you gravitate towards somebody that you know, okay, I'm, I'm comfortable with them. When you go home, you, you gravitate towards that place in the house, that, that, that chair or that blanket that makes you comfortable. You gravitate at work. You gravitate to the station on TV, to the website. When you go, no matter what it might be, you gravitate towards the comfortable. No one sits down and says, okay, what's going to make me uncomfortable today? That's what I'm going to watch on TV. That, that sounds great. It's likely that, that for this specific instance that God is making us in some regard do something that John the Baptist did, uh, whether it was intentionally or maybe it was something that he felt uh, compelled to do. But in verse 6, it reads like this. And it, it just kind of just thrown in there in the middle of all this, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I'm going to read. It says, John wore clothes made of camel hair. John wore clothes made of camel hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, the only part of that that I like is the wild honey. That the honey sounds good. I don't really want to get stung, but I'm good with the honey. Locusts, not my favorite, but he wore a shirt made of hair. Now, if you know any background or you've heard any background about a hair shirt or what that actually represents, throughout history, a hair shirt was sometimes something that was worn as a punishment, something for penance. You'd have to wear it to kind of make, your, make up for a sin you'd done or a way that you've fallen short. And the, and the Catholic Church would have you wear this hair shirt as a way of saying, okay, fine, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, show that my, my, through this discomfort or through this, really in a lot of ways it is discomfort, but also through this agony that this is the one thing I'm going to do to show that I'm sorry for what I've done. But John the Baptist, he wears this hair shirt, this camel hair shirt, intentionally without request. He was wearing it because he was living in a life of penance, a life of prayer, a constant reminder of the fact that, hey, the discomfort that I live in, the thorn in my flesh that Paul would write about is not something that I cry about or something that I say, okay, God, take this away. But instead, it's a constant reminder. The discomfort was a constant reminder to turn to God for his strength and for, in this case specifically, for his leading. And so in our lives, rather than looking at the discomfort, the things that come specifically as a, as a challenge or something that discourages us, instead we look at them as a way of saying, God, what do you want to teach me through this? How can you sustain me in a way that only you can? Not only did John experience these difficult times, because he also was living as, at, the, at the conclusion of the 400 years silence, but also how can I honor and glorify you in the midst of it? He preached the gospel. And the implication for us specifically from this is that may our comfortability be found in his presence rather than in worldly desires. Oftentimes we, we try to find comfort in things that are created rather than in the creator. And God the creator is the only one that can bring real and lasting comfort to you and to me. He's the only one, the only thing that we can cling to that's going to bring comfort to us even in the midst of the storms that we walk through. I could hear it even now, the thunder this morning as I was sitting, kind of just kind of getting ready for the day, kind of preparing my heart and my mind, sitting in our living room, I could hear the rolling thunder outside. And I thought, even in the midst of the storm, God, you are good. God, you are present. 
And as we walk through storms in our lives, not necessarily a storm outside, but perhaps even out there, but when we walk through storms in our lives, when we walk through discomforts in our lives, when we walk through times when we intentionally or what was placed upon us wear a hair shirt, may it be an opportunity for us to reflect upon God and to embrace his goodness in the midst of discomfort. The fourth one is this. John the Baptist's message humbly pointed others towards Jesus Christ. Could we do any better? Could we do anything better than allow our lives, allow everything we are, allow every relationship, every gift, every moment of time, could we allow every, anything else to do better than just to point others towards Jesus? Verse 7 and 8 reads like this. This is his action. It says, And this was his message. After me comes the one, who pow- the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, meaning I am only a human. I only can do what I have been called to do. But he, Jesus Christ, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And here we see with all the popularity that John the Baptist was gaining, all the the Judean countryside, all of it had turned out for his teaching, for him, this man in the wilderness that most might even have thought, he's kind of crazy, kind of quirky, he's eating insects and he's wearing weird clothes. Everybody turned out for that. And while he had all these eyes on him, he said, look, the spotlight is not on me. The spotlight should not be on me, but instead shifted it towards the one who sent him, towards the Messiah to come, towards Jesus. In fact, even some of his followers left him after Jesus came and said, I'm going to go follow that guy instead. I believe him to be the Messiah. And John the Baptist didn't say, no, let me keep you here. Please stay in my midst. Instead, he had a sending mentality that said, yes, go, serve, honor God in the way he calls you to. Has anybody in here ever met a spotlight shifter? Anybody? I know some of you are spotlight shifters because if somebody gives you a compliment, the first thing you do is you, you, you shift the spotlight on somebody else or you shift the spotlight on Christ. You say, yeah, I, I appreciate the compliment. I appreciate the recognition. But let me tell you, the one who has granted me the time, who has granted me the opportunity, the one who has done a work in my life, Jesus, he's the one that truly should receive the glory. That's what John the Baptist was. He didn't take it for himself. He didn't build his own resume. He said, I know the one and I want you to know him too. And so the implication for us in this moment is this. May we always point others towards Jesus Christ. May we always have the mentality and also take the action to point others towards Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard the phrase before, eat the word of God? Anybody heard that before? It's an interesting thought. It's an interesting context. It's an, it's an interesting phrase because in some ways it's kind of bizarre. I mean, I, I wouldn't probably pick up this Bible right here and begin to start to eat the pages, but there is a, a real implication here as we look at it in, a, in figurative language, which means that we, we consume it in a way where it is all that sustains us. Right? If you think about food in the context of nutrition, you eat it, and what, what you eat actually, it provides either good and, and, and energy, and, and it helps you to grow, and it helps you to, to get stronger, and, and, and mentally it helps you, and all these different things, or you eat things that are not really good for you, and what happens then is it, it begins to, to, to help your, or create a, a deterioration in your body, or what was that word I used earlier? Discomfortability, or I don't remember what it was. Some of you remember. You're like, yes, Steve, we got it. But whatever it might be, when you eat food, it brings forth nutrition. It's what, you, it's, what, it's what sustains you. It's what directs you. 
It's what propels you on. And as we look directly at the word of God, specifically spiritually, but also mentally and emotionally, and in some ways physically, because we are holistic beings. When we eat, when we absorb, when we, when we ingest the word of God in a way into our spirit, that's what, that nutrition is what spurs us on. And so when I ask specifically now as your pastor, but also as your brother, to, to step up in the way that John the Baptist has to bring forth revival because revival starts here. And I don't know if you notice the artwork here. If there's a heart right here, there's not a recognition of the, the, the revival has to start in a location or start with a, a certain sect of people. The revival starts first in our heart. When we, when we talk about that here, when I ask that of, of us here, it is a high call, but we don't do it basically by our own means or what happens. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes he works through his word. In fact, he worked through his word with John the Baptist because John the Baptist said, I, I know the prophecy. I know the will of God. I know what he's calling me to do. I'm going to step forward. And not only did he live out the word, but he also fulfilled the word, fulfilled the prophecy. It's a call and a blessing to embrace the spirit of God, particularly through his word as we receive his word through meditation, through prayer, through contemplation, to consume it, spiritually speaking, and then to live it out. John 6, 63 reads like this, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. And this morning, one of the things that we get to do is something that's interesting because as I talk about ingesting the word, as I talk about eating the word, eating the word of God and, and allowing it to change us, to transform us, we're going to embrace uh, another moment of something where we physically get to eat the word of God. This morning, uh, being the first Sunday, we're going to embrace this moment of communion together, of engaging in the Lord's Supper. And as we do so, there's a recognition there that as we consume these elements, we do so by, by reflecting upon who God is and what he's done. But we also do so not just through reflection, but also through a pure heart, which means we sit and we contemplate, God, are there places in my life where you and this thing, whatever it might be, cannot coexist? Because God can't coexist with the darkness, right? The light and the darkness can't be in the same place. And if I would have realized this earlier this week when I hit my face on the door, I'd have recognized if I'd have turned the light on, guess what? I wouldn't look so foolish, right? And at the same time, what God is saying to each one of us this morning is, hey, I am giving you the opportunity with your brothers and sisters in Christ to search yourself and to before, before God to place whatever it is that might be causing you strife or distress or, or bitterness or pride, whatever it might be, to place those things figuratively or literally, if you want to come forward, on the altar. So that when you do engage this moment, when you do consume the elements together, you do so with the recognition that you are literally eating the word of God as God brings you an opportunity to experience him in a deeper way. May this service be an opportunity, not just for us to be maybe convicted a little bit and encouraged, but may we be empowered. May we be empowered by the way that God wants to bring forth his prophecy, wants to bring forth his will, his word through your life, through my life, through our lives as the body of Christ. And so I'm going to have the ushers come forward. I'm going to pray to consecrate these elements. They're going to distribute those. And as they distribute the elements, I want to encourage you to take a cup and a wafer and to hold on to those. And as you look at those and reflect upon those, may you also reflect on your spirit. God, where am I this morning? 
How do I receive these this morning? How am I open to these this morning? If you do have a, a gluten intolerance, we do have gluten-free wafers. Just make sure you raise your hand as the usher come by and they'll bring you uh, a gluten-free wafer as well. We don't want anybody to, to miss out because of uh, dietary restrictions. But this morning, let us not be bogged down by some of the practical or the, the tangible things, some of the, the time constraints, those kinds of things. May we be open to the Spirit's leading in His way, in His timing in this place. So would you pray with me? Father, we come to you now and we do recognize that you are present. We recognize that your spirit is in this place, just like you are everywhere. But at the same time, we also recognize that at times, the reason your spirit doesn't move isn't because you are not willing, it's because we have not asked. And so this morning, we ask God, will you continue to embrace us? Will you continue to bring forth your day, your moment? God, will you continue to work on our hearts and impress yourself upon us in this place? God, we pray for your goodness to abound. We pray for your message to, 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 be, to ring from the mountaintops. We, God, we pray in this moment for you to sustain us. And even in the midst of, of, of us being uncomfortable or in the midst of us being frustrated or bitter, God, I pray that you would remove those things and help us to rely entirely on you. And when we do walk through seasons of discouragement or in seasons of discomfort, I should say, God, we pray that you would help us to rely on you, to step forward on you, to, to learn what you want us to learn in those difficult seasons as well. God, I pray that you would consecrate these elements, make them holy and pleasing to yourself so that as we consume them today, we do so with a pure heart and openness to your goodness and, and, and a revelation to recognize, God, that you have something greater should we be willing to step forward in it. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you, God, for your presence. Thank you, God, for your word for which you still speak through today. It's in your son's holy name that we pray here today. And all of us said, amen. Amen, ushers. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.